This week we're talking about color theory with Blake Rudis, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. Thank each and every one of you guys. I appreciate you guys so much. I don't really talk about it enough, but we have so many listeners to this show and week in and week out, you guys are kind of there for me. (laughs) Whether I release an episode or not, you guys are always there downloading the show and I appreciate each and every one of you guys. Today, we're gonna have Blake Rudis on the show. Blake Rudis is from the F64 Academy and F64Elite.com. He teaches seminars, he teaches a whole bunch of tutorials, he's got a subscription service out there for post-processing education, and he is an absolutely hilarious guy. I met him in the Out of Moab conference and he and I hit it off really well. I consider him a friend, he's such a cool guy. In this conversation, we talked a lot about color theory. We also laughed a whole lot. Um, it was a really fun conversation, as it always is with Blake. I'm gonna jump out of the way. Let's jump into the conversation that I had with Blake about color theory. So I am sitting down with the one, the only, the Blake Rudis. How's it going, man? Good to have you on. It is good. I think I am actually the only Blake Rudis on the planet. If you Google Blake Rudis, I'm the only one. Uh, Wait, no, there's a kid that plays in high school uh, baseball in Texas. That's so unacceptable. Two. There can there's only two. be there's one. Two. <laughs> there can there's only two be Blake one Blake Rudis. <laughs> But, you know, the thing that you got on that other guy is that you know a thing or two about color theory, my friend. And I, I hope so. Blake number two, he doesn't, he doesn't have, the color theory game is not strong with Blake number two. Probably not because he plays baseball. As we all know, baseball players suck at color theory. Yeah, they're uniforms, really. I mean, you know, some are compliments, some are not. It's just. It's all over the place. Yeah, it's a mess, really. It's a mess. <laughs> so um, so I wanted to have you on the show, man, because obviously you're entertaining for one. And for two, you know a thing about color theory and color theory is not really something we've covered on the show. And it's kind of applicable to landscape photography, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely is. I I have like a a really burning passion for this color theory stuff. So um, I don't know what's going to come out today. So I apologize. There's going to be some laughs, some tears. Yes, you might cry. Yeah, some hallelujahs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Can I get an amen? (laughs) (laughs) Love me some cyan. Exactly. Awesome. So where to start? Like, I I think a lot of people, when they first start doing post-processing, they're just trying to figure out why some some photos work really great color-wise and other photos don't work so great. Like, if we were to break it down to the the very basics, the very beginning of color theory, where would we start with that? Well, it goes way back to like the early 1400s, I believe, but that's the boring stuff. <laughs> we, we don't have that kind of time, man. <laughs> no, like, I know. Fast this a little bit. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing about this though, is like, uh, I, so I don't want to like pimp my products. That's not really what I'm all about doing. I, I talk about them and I'm going to refer to them because we, I just got done covering this in a four week extended edition for a product that I had released called palette effects, which is basically my color theory panel that I use to build my color theory stuff. But like I said, I don't want, I don't want that to sound like a, a Blake infomercial, but what I mean by that is that I've been 
teaching and coaching color theory for probably nine, nine years ish. And what, what we found in this four week session was, I think we found the answer to that exact question is like, I've got a photo. How do you bridge that gap and make it amazing? And Mm -hmm. during that, um, uh, one of the things that we kind of came up with as a, as a group, as I was talking about, this was like, it's about the experience. You know, you have to go to the place, experience, see the colors, um, exist within the space, especially landscape photography, um, feel it, um, see what's around you and, and adapt uh, emotions to the things that you're seeing. Right. But then like you get home and you show someone the photo, especially on the back of your camera. And they're like, oh, that's great. And you're like, wait, 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 wait a sec. Wait a second. Like, this is the most amazing thing I've seen in the mm-hmm. last 10 years. And you're saying it's okay. So what happens is we have an experience disconnect with our viewer where if we aren't making the photo just as much of an experience as it was for us being there for them seeing it, then we have a disconnect and the communication that happens between us as the photographer artist and the viewer who's seeing it is lost. And when that communication yeah. is lost, that's when you get those like, okay, uh, this is an okay photo, but I don't know what you want me to see here. So it's really about creating that experience. So if relating this back to color theory, how do you get, how do you make someone experience a photograph? Well, it starts at color theory. It starts right there at, at the point of okay, I've got this data in front of me, which is the scene that I collected. Now, how do I exploit this data to make someone feel what I felt when they saw it? That would be the best name for like a, you know, a photography business is exploiting pixels. Yeah. <laughs> Exploitingpixels.com. Hold on. I'm going to GoDaddy right now. I just, <laughs> I just bought it. <laughs> just bought it. Boom. Okay. Exploiting so you can- pixels. Uh, I have to, yeah. I'll, I'll just make that something else. Like I'll, I'll, I'll wear like, um, instead of a beard, I'll, I'll shave and put a little fake mustache and some old seventies glasses and have an accent. I'm exploiting the pixel today. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but I think we've all experienced exactly what you're talking about. Like when you take a photo and you're in this amazing place, experiencing this amazing light or whatever it is, this amazing scene, you get the files back and you, the photos just don't convey what it felt and, and it doesn't convey how you experienced it. And it's because, you know, our brains are filtering things out and they're, they're changing the way we perceive a place. Cameras don't necessarily capture reality. They capture the way, you know, the lens sees reality. We perceive reality through the filter that is our brain. And we're focusing in on what we like. We're filtering out what we don't like. In my opinion, what post-processing is all about is trying to get it back to the way that we felt it and we experienced it at the time. Absolutely. And, you know, a big part of that is um, I think artists, like you're definitely an artist, artists are very connected with that thing because um, artists tend to think a little bit deeper. So really the first thing that I tell everyone when I first start everything is, okay, who in here is an artist? Uh, when I'm, whether I'm on a workshop or doing something at a seminar, uh, 95% of the photographers in there will not raise their hand. And it's so disheartening because you're an artist first that's your that's your main category and your subcategory is photographer. So like if you were at a chamber of commerce meeting and you had to put one of those little sticky pads on your shirt that says hello my name is, <laughs> it'd be hello my name is artist, I am a photographer. So like you know, once you accept that and once you're willing to accept that and it's a hard thing to do because some people don't they don't want to be presumptuous and say well I'm an artist. Well in in order for you to be in order for your images to be what you want them to be, you have to be willing to accept something 
uh, first, or they will never really get there. Mm-hmm. So then all the, a lot of this relates to color theory. You know, I, I was a former uh, painter, sculptor, and printmaker. I got my degree in printmaking and sculpture, which is way out of the wheelhouse of uh, photography here. But um, it taught me so many things because I was already primed and prepped with being an artist. So when you take me out of you know printmaking and put me into sculpture, that's fine. It doesn't matter. I can do it because I'm an artist. You take me out of sculpture and you put me into photography, that's fine. I can do it because I'm an artist. You know what I mean? So when you when you really bring on that persona and, and label yourself, you enable yourself mm-hmm. to be able to do the things that you want with your images. So maybe let's have a conversation about how color impacts the way a photo feels, you know, because a, a color has such a huge part of the feeling of an image. What kind of general rules or tips do you have for people that are are trying to inject some of that feeling into a photo using color? Absolutely. You know, and I, I have a workflow that I follow very strictly that's that goes like this. It's really simple. It's really easy to remember. Uh, most of the people that follow me pretty much have it like buried in their brain. It's called tone, color, artistic effects. So what happens is you you get the tones correct in your image by using highlights, shadows, whatever that might be. You get your colors looking good based on what actual color was. Okay, so you want color reality, uh, and then you allow yourself to go into the artistic effects, and that's where the color grading and stuff comes from. So when we talk about color theory, like no one likes the word theory. It's just like no one likes the word trigonometry. It's like you know, it's, <laughs> especially if you're an artist, you really don't like those types of words. But color theory is just that. Like there is no way of saying, okay, this is exactly what you do. But there's a lot of theories that relate to color. Mm-hmm. Um, so each color around the color wheel is going to affect you in a different way than another color is. What we also discovered in that in that extended edition I was doing is that color is objective. Color is a light that gets reflected from a spectrum. So that is an object. We're telling you that you have to place a subjective emotion onto objective color in order to evoke a subjective emotion from somebody else. So you are going to feel something subjectively about a specific color because maybe, maybe, um, I don't know, like your, your parents got divorced when you were uh, 12 years old and you're sitting in the living room and you had a yellow lamp. And the only thing you could look at the whole time uh, your parents were telling you about their divorce was that yellow lamp. Well, then guess what happens with the color yellow? It gets associated <laughs> with pain and anguish yeah. and the destruction of a family. Whereas you know somebody what? I else, hate yellow. I hate exactly. yellow. Yellow sucks. <laughs> it does suck. It, it sounds silly, but your brain will say, okay. Yellow does this to you. But then on the flip side, you could have a guy who or a kid, let's say seven years old, who wanted this bike for Christmas or uh, whatever it might be for Christmas that was yellow. So when he got that, that brought so much joy. So Mm -hmm. now later in their life, you've got one individual who loves the color yellow because of the joy it brought them with their bike. And then you got another individual who had heartache and heartbreak over the color yellow. So you never really know what the colors that you're using are going to do to the viewer when they see it. But you still have to grade them to a certain extent. So as I said, we got tone, you have color, and you have artistic effects. So a lot of times when people are thinking about um, artistic effects when it comes to color, we use this term very loosely called color grading, where we're taking our image that's already been processed to a good point, to a point that actually could probably be a photojournalistic photo. And now we're saying, okay, artist, you're allowed to come out. Let's use some color grading. So you add some blues to the shadows, you add some oranges to the highlights, and you really make that sunset scene start to have this feeling of of lasting, essentially, because of the colors mm-hmm. that you're using to further exploit the colors that are that were in the image to begin with. Sometimes people can't wrap their head around that. But if I told you to watch uh, Game of Thrones, if you're a, a throne head like my wife and I, 
And anytime they do a scene in the North, it's blue, it's mm-hmm. cold, it's dismal. Um, they're the underdog, so they're always losing. But then when they do a scene in the South, it's always bright, it's uplifting, it's highly saturated, even though those are the evil people that are trying to take over the whole place. You know, what they do there is they, and they do this a lot in movies and you don't even know what's happening. They are subliminally manipulating you with color. So we have to do the same thing to our viewer in order to make them experience it. And often what happens is, so like um, A Walking Dead is another uh, uh, show I use quite often. All these are really dark and nasty shows, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're but, kind of a dark and nasty guy. So I guess I am. Makes- oh, I'm, I'm so, I'm so evil. I'm just manipulating all of you right now. So dark and nasty. <laughs> so bad. Just watch out, guys. Like the, the, the crazy thing about it is like you, you said something earlier that is spot on is that. Our brains are going to perceive things um, and our brains are actually really smart. So when you look at a scene from The Walking Dead, when you first see it, all the colors in the show are very green and yellow and brown and kind of disgusting. But then the longer (laughs) you watch the show, guess what happens? It doesn't look that way anymore. It only starts off that way. And what they're doing is they're allowing you to feel like you're jumping into the scene with them. And once your brain is caught up with the color grading that they're using and things start to look natural, that's when you're typically your mouth is open and drool is coming out and you're like, oh, wait, well, where am I? Oh, oh, wait, I'm not. A, there's no zombies outside, you know, because they've they've altered your experience so much for the show to make you feel like you're in it. Um, mm-hmm. Any great movie that typically any great movie that you've ever seen in the last 10 years, look at the color grading and then look at any bad movie that you've seen in the last 10 years and look at the color grading. Once you're aware of what the color is doing to you, you can be aware of how they're using color theory to manipulate your emotions into that scene. Yeah. And if you think of some of the like the least successful movies that you've seen that are just just come across as cheesy, a lot of time that color grading is far more realistic for a better word, like a a B-list horror movie. And it just looks straight out of camera. But if you watch something like, you know, Halloween or like a Rob Zombie movie, why am I going Rob Zombie? But I don't know. See, you're going you're going nasty, too. Yeah, I know. I'm going (laughs) super dark. Let's talk House of a Thousand Corpses right now. Oh, Um, God, please. Don't that, that <laughs> show scared the living daylights out of me. Tutti fruity. <laughs> just, just gonna say tutti fruity. Um, but basically, like you watch a really good uh, movie, you can tell that something bad is gonna happen before it ever does, just because of the colors that are in the scene. Like you, you know, if, if it's drab and kind of desaturated, and and white balance is way cold or way green or something, you know something bad's gonna happen. And that's when you take the kids out of the room, like, yeah, you don't want to watch this scene. Yeah, but- you can already predict it. And, and, you know, music helps too. So they do a lot of things in movies to really make you feel that. Mm-hmm. Like if you tried to, if you took like, I don't know, um, lean on me and put that over the scene in Halloween. So instead of that, re, 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 like, lean on yeah. me. Yeah, they got this guy <laughs> yeah, with exactly. the knife. Like, Wait a second. It's like, oh, they're dancing. <laughs> it's just such a romantic mo- All he wants is a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of love. You know, you, yeah, you give exactly. Michael Myers a little bit of love and everything's fine. <laughs> So, no. so music does help too, but we're, we're talking about color, not music. So <laughs> music, music theory, <laughs> the music yeah. theory of movies with, with Blake and Nick. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> or if you know, if you watch like, uh, I'm a huge stranger things fan. Oh yeah. Yeah. They totally give you that autumn, you know, October feel by the really warm color palette where, you know, all the oranges and stuff are super warm, but then they go out into the forest and suddenly everything's like way cold and way dark and drab and, 
yeah, color theory has a massive impact on how we feel about a photo. But there's also when we're talking about color theory, we're talking also talking about like complementary colors and all of that. The color yeah. wheel. Let's talk color exactly. wheel. Let's nerd out on the Let's color do it. wheel. For Dude, a while. I love it. You know, because like the color <laughs> wheel that I grew up with was like red, yellow, and blue. Because red, yellow, and blue were uh, when you're a painter. There's no colors that can make the colors red, yellow, and blue. And that's why they're the primary colors. And then you get into the secondary colors, which are the colors of red and blue mixed to make violet, blue and yellow mixed to make green, and you know, red and yellow mixed to make orange. So that's the color wheel that you probably grew up. But I'm going to shatter your life right now because you cannot use that <laughs> in digital processing. You cannot. So um, you can to get the colors that you want across to manipulate emotions using complements. But if you think that the, that that color wheel can be used in the process of editing images, it can't because we have six primary colors in the digital world. We have red, green, and blue because of the uh, backlit monitors. And then we have C, M, and Y, which is cyan, magenta, and yellow for printing. So if you've ever been, and the way you, you're like, Blake, yeah, right. You, you're just yeah. making some shit. Right now, so can I yeah. say that on the show? I'm, I'm totally. I'm gonna kick you off the show right now for spreading this disinformation. This is fake news, everybody. Oh no, I was more worried about the fact that I dropped the S bomb. Well, well, the nice, the nice part is I can just put a beep on there, and it's even more vulgar. And I have three kids. I never cuss. Why did I do that? Yes. <laughs> it's because I have three kids. That's why I did that. Exactly. It's freedom. So, what happens in, in Blake's office stays in stays Blake's in office. My office, like. Lean on me. Lean on me. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I'm telling you this because, so the curves adjustment layer is a perfect example. When you go into the red channel of the curves adjustment layer and you bring up the red channel, your image gets more red. You Wait, you up. lost me. Wait, <laughs> back up. What's Say that? what? No, I'm I'm kidding. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm being sarcastic. Go I was on. Like, oh boy, you I'm lost. on the wrong. I'm on the wrong <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you lost. You lost me at red. Yeah, and then <laughs> so then if you take the red uh, channel there, the red curve in that channel, and you bring it down, then you're altering into cyan. Okay, so on the old color wheel or the painter's color wheel, as I call it, across the color wheel from red is actually green. Hence red with Christmas with the complementary colors of red and green. But the complement of red in digital editing is actually cyan. Mm -hmm. So if you want to alter how much red is in your image, adding green to it will make your image muddy. It will not make your image more vibrant or less vibrant. You need to add cyan to it. So that's where the nerdy dorky stuff comes from when it comes to this stuff is that every color that you've ever thought of as being a complement is wrong. Now, if you're trying to make a complementary color scheme, you can still use the old color wheel because yes, those are harmonious colors. But if you're trying to, like in the painting world, pigment wise, if I were to put, I used to be a painter. If I used to put, if I would put blue on my canvas and that blue is too powerful and I wanted to subdue it, I would either mix a little bit of orange with the blue and that would tone down the blue, or I would put orange around the blue, which would alter the look of the blue because of the harmony that's happening with the color mm -hmm. of orange. But in the, um, in the digital spectrum, when you're trying to edit and, and alter the color blue, you can't mix orange with it or it's going to be mud. You have to use yep. yellow. And that's why if you even look at the temperature slider, let's go even more basic. The tint and temperature sliders in Adobe Camera Raw, Lightroom, and most major uh, editing softwares, um, the, what's the temperature? It's blue transitioning to yellow. Some of them will use blue transitioning to orange, but if you're using that editing software, watch what happens to the image when you start to go into the orange. It gets muddy. 
But then when you go into Adobe Camera or Lightroom and you start to move it into the yellow, it starts to get vibrant. Why is that? Because you're replacing the blue with yellow and not replacing the blue with muddy orange. Mm-hmm. So that's like basic. So the tint slider is magenta and green, not green and red. So in the in the world of editing, if you want to use color theory to your, to its maximum potential, you have to use what I call the digital color wheel, which puts your six primary colors of red, yellow, green, uh, cyan, blue, and magenta all right. in their primary area. And I know that there's got to be some people that are kind of younger editors, meaning that they haven't been doing ed- editing super long, that all of this just intimidated the hell out of them. You know, oh, yeah. We just went that, from like, like joking about movies to just, wait, you were... You just to feeling completely, yeah, to feeling completely <laughs> inadequate as a photo yeah. editor. But the, the thing is, <laughs> so much of this is instinctual too. Like you know, you look at a photo and you either like it or you don't. And oftentimes, those things that are underlying that make you like or dislike a photo is that color palette. And Absolutely. Yeah, and there's sometimes where just doing minor shifts to make things a little bit more har- harmonious or to create more color separation can impact a photo in a major, major way. Like for example, I recently did a video called working with color, not a plug. And one of those edits that we did was this one shot that was kind of shooting directly into the sun where I had this wave that was backlit. And because there wasn't a lot of color in the scene, it was all just kind of a wash of orange by creating a little bit of color separation by dual processing and cooling down the color temperature of the water, warming up the color temperature of the background, you create that separation that is far more pleasing, far more contrasty and makes the main subject stand out a lot more uh, just through a really subtle adjustment. And Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's all subtle. That's the cool thing about it is like, I'm not telling you to like take a, a magenta color overlay and just wash your image with magenta. You know, you mix it with things like blend modes and opacity and uh, fill and blend if. And once you do all that with even that one solid color layer of even the most potent magenta, you can really amplify those sunsets and sunrises. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people don't understand that the reason why their sunsets don't look like mine because mine are amazing is because I'm just kidding. <laughs> every single time, every single time. He's never exactly. taken a bad sunset never, photo. Not, not one, not one. Seriously. Um, so <laughs> it's 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 really because we could both be at the same workshop with the same camera with the same lens shooting at the exact same thing and, and Nick your will get sunset, a better photo every time you will definitely <laughs> and then kidding, you'll put I'm it on kidding. instagram and get a million views and i'll get like two but <laughs> <laughs> no but it'll look different and the reason why it looks different is that some people don't know to control those colors yeah. and other people will control those colors differently i i hate the color pink like with a burning passion it's because of an ex-girlfriend that i had she just loved the color <laughs> pink and every time i see it all i can think about is her and her so but what's funny is that i use magenta which is a very close relative to pink in all of my sunset and sunrise landscape photos because i love the way that magenta just Mm -hmm. makes the image pop and it exaggerates it in a way that makes me feel like i can experience it and most people haven't told me that it doesn't make them experience it in a bad way so i think i'm doing something right so a lot of this is like okay apply the principle see if it works share it if people tell you you're crazy then you might want to alter it a little bit and then just you know repeat the pattern you'll start to see that your style starts to come out that way and I, i definitely gravitate really strongly towards those magentas and those pinks and oranges when it comes to my sunsets and sunrises. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I like to do is actually to simplify the color palette in a lot of uh, shots that I take because sometimes having a whole wide spectrum of colors 
can be just really distracting for the eye. Because, yeah. you know, if you have every color of the rainbow, the eye wants to pick out all those different colors and all those different color separations. And if your eye is bouncing around a photo. Typically, that's not going to be the most successful photo because they're missing the point of the photo in a lot of cases. So what I like to do is a lot of times I'll go into the HSL panel in a shot like that. And I'll make, a, I'll push the colors towards each other and make them very similar. So I'll push, you know, maybe the, the yellows towards orange and the oranges towards yellow. And then the, or the, maybe it's the yellows towards green and the greens towards yellow. It's simplifying the color palette, which in a lot of cases just simplifies the, the feeling of the shot altogether because the eye wants to pick out all of those different colors. And if you simplify it, uh, it's going to be a much easier to look at shot. Exactly. I, I refer to that as circus vomit, if you can imagine that visual. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Very colorful stuff. <laughs> yeah, I like I like conf confetti foregrounds for sure. No. <laughs> it's a bad visual, but you know. Um, yeah, and that's why selective color is so great when you make an image black and white and then make like that one rose red. I'm totally it's kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, once again, like, kicking wait, you what? off the show. <laughs> Don't you ever, don't you ever talk about selective color again on this show? No, let's talk about selective color. Okay. Seriously. When I, when I talk about selective color, I talk about using one or two colors selectively, just like you're talking about where you're talking about pushing colors close together, but I'll often I'll let two colors just get a little bit more saturated than others yeah. and then desaturate the others, but not, not desaturate. Like you're thinking like, Oh, he went black and white with that. Yeah. I'm talking like <laughs> just a little, little bit of that color getting out of the color yellow so that blue can pop a little bit more or a little bit of the cyan removed so that magenta can pop a little bit. Yeah. Shot doesn't need every single color saturated to 11. It just needs, you know, a couple dominant colors and then a few that are just like supporting actors rather than the Matthew McConaughey of the shot. There's nothing wrong with Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> sitting in his, sitting you know in his, sitting in his, a little bit more Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> so I was thinking about cyan yesterday, and then I picked up a napkin, and it was purple. <laughs> so I wiped oh, my nose with funny. it. <laughs> that's nice. And then I thought, I'm just gonna drive. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, cyan. Yes. Cyan. God, I love cyan. I, I really enjoy teaching people this stuff. It's one of my favorite things to do because it is really eye-opening. The experience disconnect is the big thing that, that I like to harp on when it comes to this because in order to make the viewer experience what you experienced, you have to manipulate them. And I'm not talking like manipulation and like the headline that you use on the Facebook post and no one actually reads it and then goes and says that somebody did something that they didn't actually do <laughs> like our society does. Uh, but I'm talking about <laughs> manipulation to the point that um, you're, you're manipulating them in a good way to empathize with you on what you felt when you were there. Uh, and it's not a bad form of manipulation. It's a good form of manipulation, but there's really no other word than manipulate that, that really works. Um, <laughs> you're trying to make your viewer feel what you feel. And perfect example of this is like as uh, you have a friend that that went on vacation they went to like the, the freaking bahamas or something like that you know and they come back and they're showing you the pictures like isn't this the most amazing thing you've ever seen and you're like well you know uh, sure yeah it's it's beautiful the thing is their brain when they look at that image it already replaces the colors with higher saturation mm -hmm. because of the emotions that they had towards that area so to them that image is a very lasting image based on the experience that they had with it. But if if you don't get the viewer to experience it like you experienced it, then you've lost them altogether. And that's typically the part where people say, okay, I'm pretty good at photography. 
Um, and then they get to the point where they're like, well, I'm just, I'm just done. I'm just not going to do this anymore because they get to the point where they know Lightroom and they know Adobe Camera Raw and they know how to run around Photoshop a little bit, but they don't allow themselves to jump into that metaphysical area of their life, pull out emotions and put them out there. Every image, in my personal opinion, has to be an extension of you, everything, because yeah. you're creating it. If you're not letting people see that part of you, it's just, it's just not happening, you know? So we use this color theory stuff in order to manipulate those emotions and make that person feel what we felt when we were there. I know mm -hmm. I'm, I'm saying the words like feel here, knowing that typically 75% of my demographic audience is uh, older males, you know, how hard it is to, to, to try <laughs> to and get them, them to anything. want to feel, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but that's how men are, you know, we're like, oh, yeah. I can't feel nothing. Yeah. Go ahead. Hit me with a hammer. I can't feel it. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. that's, that's how we are. So in, in talking about this, there might even be some people here. They're like, oh my gosh, this Blake guy, he's like some hokey psychiatrist. And it's not, that's not what it is. I'm just trying to say, look, if the reason why your photos suck, <laughs> let's just be blunt. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the reason why you're not getting the feeling that you're getting getting out of the out of the viewer you know like your jaw is dropped you present it to them and they're like ah oh, i like it that's nice you ever and then you but you know the difference of like that when yeah. you show someone a photo and like oh my gosh dude where where was this and you're like mm -hmm. oh it's my backyard <laughs> yeah and sometimes it's not a photo that you expect that to happen with it's like yeah that's that's okay you know because you know, sometimes you can squeeze out a good photo and without even trying, like it doesn't take all of the work and labor that some of those less than amazing photos take because you're, you're trying to save it at that point. Sometimes you put all of your work into some of your lesser work and the ones that come really easy, those are the really good ones. And then you're surprised when people like them, you're like, wait, I only spent 10 minutes on, on this exactly. one in Photoshop. And yet people still love it. And the, the reason, like if you boil it down to the reason that people love it, oftentimes it's because they are seeing the world through your eyes. They're getting a glimpse of what it is that catches the photographer's eye when they go to take a photo and they're, they're seeing the world through that person's lens. And that, that's really kind of what we're trying to get this back to, I think, is the fact that the one thing that everybody can do is that they can convey the way that they see the world through a photograph. And a big part of what you do to make that happen is you have to bring that out with color to try to inject some of that feeling and emotion that you were feeling at the time. And that's oftentimes the thing that is lacking with a photographer that doesn't understand a lot of this post-processing stuff. Did you do any darkroom stuff just by chance? Any analog None. stuff? None. None. I've okay. never shot film ever. Okay. Cause, and here's the thing about this. Like I'm, I'm just going to call you out. Not you, not you. I'm not talking about you, but I'm just going to call everyone out. Who's listening to this. If you ever had to do any of this stuff in the dark room with your black and white images and then add colors to it. Um, it was a tedious process to do any editing on any of your images in the dark room. So if you're not doing this stuff in this day and age, the early me that was in the analog darkroom spending hours to produce one print that sucked. <laughs> I have to tell you, you're doing yourself a disservice because, you know, like even dodging and burning in the darkroom would take like it, the act of doing it wouldn't take long. But the fact that you had to make 15 prints of the same image to get the right dodge and burn time down, you're talking a whole day's work just to dodge and burn a photo. If you're not doing that stuff now, dude, don't even get me started. You know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah. You have no excuse. We have no excuse now because everything is, is easy to copy. It's easy to reproduce. We can take the exact settings that we used on one image and dump them on another one. Some people don't think that's a revelation, but holy crap, people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you could do that back in the day, you'd make a million dollars. Could you imagine what Ansel Adams would be doing in this day and age? I mean, I can't even fathom it. So, you know, um, I don't, I don't mean to say I'm calling you out in a bad way, but I just want to make you aware that this stuff has not always been as easy as it is mm -hmm. now. Experimentation is like the number one thing that I tell anybody in my courses and my subscribers, whatever, however you want to say, it. they always hear me say, leave time for experimentation. Um, because as soon as I start experimenting is when I start learning all the bad things not to do. And that's usually what I don't show you. I don't show you those. Uh, I show you my highlight reel. You know, we have the yeah. Facebook highlight reel. That's what we show everyone. But if you were to look at all the failed experiments, sorry, I hit my ring on my table because I'm really <laughs> animated. He's passionate. I'm like, oh, I am like, you just see my arms. I'm like a gorilla just waving around right now. Yeah. Let me uh, step back from my speakers a little bit. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I just hit my ring on my, my glass desk. <laughs> so, <Nice>. um, <laughs> uh, I forgot what I was saying because of that. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. What was I saying, uh, Nick? Something, I don't know, like, but I it was important. Too. <laughs> I forgot too. I was so, oh, experimentation. I was, experimentation. Yes. I was flinching yes. so hard I couldn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just brainwashed me. I don't even know. Like you snapped that finger. I lost everything. What were we even talking about? No, so um, I learned all the things that I shouldn't be doing through experimentation. But at the same time, I learned just a couple things that I should be doing. And over the course of hours and hours of experimentation, I might come up with one or two good solid techniques, but those are the things that carry out through my color theory work. Uh, if you see some of the color grades that I come up with on some of my favorite images, you'd probably want to gag yourself or somebody else <laughs> <laughs> or me, <laughs> but, but you just don't, you don't show that stuff. It's all experimentation. But the fact that you can just press delete on a gradient map layer that doesn't work out that well for you, that's all you have to do, you know, or the fact that you can reproduce mm -hmm. a gradient map that you've done in the past that did work and you bring it over to another photo and it does. It's like, oh, wow, look at that. The gradient map that for those who don't know, it's a, it's a way that you can map out the tones in your image from black to white and then apply a color to the dark areas and the white areas um, with whatever gradient you choose, whatever color you might choose to do that. So gradient map is a tool that I use quite a bit to color grade my images. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything can be deleted. Everything can be um, easily reproduced. Uh, we don't live in an age now where there's really any excuse for us not to do it. And I, I hate mm -hmm. to you know, call it out like that, but really that's what it is, right? I mean, maybe I'm too high on my Napoleon horse. <laughs> Revolution! <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> right. So, okay, so let's end this with two practical tips for favorite ways of, of color grading. So if you could give two tips for the ways that you like to color grade, what would they be? Okay, my first one, it's going to sound absolutely ridiculous, but the hard mix blend mode is wow. absolute junk, right? If you ever like do yeah. anything with the hard mix blend mode. It's right it's there not, with like vivid light. It is, but <laughs> vivid light and hard mix are not controlled by opacity. They're controlled by fill. So fill becomes the calculation for those. If you take a solid color overlay, like um, let's say we'll do like a dark blue and you put that oh, a solid color overlay, dark blue over your image in Photoshop with an adjustment layer, change it to the hard mix blend mode, drop the fill to about 15% and you're going to be like, holy buckets, dude, that is incredible. It's incredible. Holy buckets. That's yeah. awesome. I've never, I've never done that. But, and then, and, and then the cool part is that because it's a solid color overlay, if you don't like the fact that you use dark blue, just double click it. And then you can use the hue slider and move it up and down and change it to uh -huh. any color you want. 
So the, the you actually get, you can actually see your feelings change as you move that slider up and down. It's really and cool. And your face like mimics it, you know, blue. It your, does. Your, it? The corner oh, of your I'm mouth sad. goes I'm down happy. and then I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, ooh. That, oh, makes that's me one of the cool kinda, things you know. that I actually learned from you is using the, using the fill rather than just opacity for adjustment layers. That's a, it's a really cool idea. Yeah. It's a really cool concept that I, you know, I think you're like the only person talking about that really. Yeah. Color dodge, color burn, linear dodge, linear burn, vivid light, difference, hard mix. And did I say linear light yet? Yeah, I think yeah. you did. Okay. Well, those, those are the eight blend modes that use fill. So if you ever use any of those, like all those blend modes, I'm telling you are freaking trash until you use fill. And when you mm-hmm. use fill on them, they become the most amazing blend modes in the world. Linear dodge add is one of the best blend modes on the planet. It has to be used with a solid color overlay and it has to be used with the fill and the fill around 10%. But what happens is it will open up your image. It'll make your darks brighter without, without adding noise. And it also adds the color to it that you want in that area. So as you increase the fill, it's going to look like crap. But linear dodge add will boost the overall feel of the image with that color. So then I, always, I like to use the solid color overlay. It's like my number one go-to because I can, I can then start to paint with that. So then I can put a mask on it yeah, and then I can just, just paint in. in. Exactly. So if there's an area of your image that you want to be brighter, don't go to a curves adjustment layer and boost it up because you're going to get noise and artifacts and it's going to look all nasty there. Get a solid color overlay, linear dodge, and then drop the fill down to about 10 to 15% and paint in where you want that brightness to come. And it's like, it's literally like you're you're coloring with light. It's it's amazing. You become a painter with light. It's That's beautiful. very cool. Yeah. So these are a bunch of like little tips and tricks that I hide. And these are a bunch of little tips and tricks that people can learn where. Where can they find yeah. you? And where they, can they find all your tutorials and stuff? Um, my little hobbit hole is uh, f64academy.com. Uh, so that's where I do all of my free stuff, f64academy.com. And then uh, F64 Elite is the subscription site where I get really deep into a lot of these things that I'm talking about here with color grading, color theory, blend modes. Um, there's courses, critiques, all kinds of cool stuff on F64 Elite. But as of late, it's been very difficult for me to create a lot of free content lately because I've been so beat down with just stuff. But F64 Academy is the usual spot. Tons of free stuff there. That that way you can at least get to see the kind of stuff that I'm into. And if you like me, I, you know, sign up for the email list. If you don't, then I get it. I'm kind of a jerk. So. <laughs> I get it. Not not many people do. <laughs> it's just me, my color wheel. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to come hang out with me and my color wheel. <laughs> You make my life sound lonely. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It Just is. It office, is very lonely. Come well. and visit me now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome, Blake, man. Well, thanks for coming on. It's always entertaining and, and fun to hang out with you. Yeah, dude, I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Make sure you go check out his stuff over at F64 Academy and F64 Elite. And we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Take it easy, everybody. Bye.